Hi. Before we start today's sermon, we'd like to remind you that we're human too, and sometimes we misspeak. With that said, note that any dates referenced are AD, not BC, and the city of Philippi is in Greece, not modern-day Turkey. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the sermon. Well, good morning. You may be seated. Good morning. Yeah, we're waking up. It's all that cold weather, right? How many of you felt a little backslidden not being here last Sunday? <laughs> it was super weird. I'll just share, a, this is not related to anything. Uh, I was sitting there on Saturday evening with Sam on the couch, and she le- turned over to me and she said, so Kevin, um, what's your decision for tomorrow, Sunday? And then it hit me, uh, I have to make that decision with the rest of the leaders, <laughs> But I happened to know that Pastor Doug was at Daryl and Linda Gilbert's house, so I called him and I said, Pastor Doug, are we having church tomorrow? (laughs) It It was a good laugh for the both of us. So, But it is good to be here together. And just by way, again, just keeping you guys up to date with things that are that are going on as we continue in our transition here. I know that some were not here. I've had a few people ask me, you know, so who is going to be our senior pastor? Uh, So a couple of weeks ago, we made that announcement, if you weren't here, uh, that uh, with prayer, uh, together with our elders and deacons and our board of directors, Sam and I praying and seeking the Lord together, made that decision for me to remain as the senior pastor for however long that is. And so two weeks ago, the, the leadership laid hands on us and prayed over us. And, and I would ask, as I asked, you know, two months ago, continue. Please continue to diligently pray, not only for Samantha and I, but for Josh and Danae, for Liam and Hannah, uh, for the rest of the leadership team and the staff. Uh, we desperately need it in the days in which we are living. Amen? Now, additionally, I had shared that we have been continually praying and seeking the Lord as to who would join us on staff. And as we looked around the body and saying, Lord, who is here? Um, one of my, my good friends, someone that I've been a part, or he's been a part of my life for the last 14 years as a mentor, an encourager, uh, a fellow servant, um, Brian Early and his wife, Tracy. And so this, during the last couple of weeks, the elders and everyone affirmed it. And we are making the decision to bring Brian Early on staff with us as the associate pastor, and there's a picture of him and his wife. Brian's right over there. His, his wife was not able to be here. She is at a memorial service in California, but next Sunday, we're going to lay hands on them and pray over them and welcome them in, but it's been, it's been exciting to have him. Um, he, he's been this mentor to me for 14 years. And so now to be able to serve in a new capacity, but we also serve as chaplains together in law enforcement. So we've had a long, long history of, as he would say, iron sharpening iron. I think mostly it was him this way, but um, it's been really great. So if you have your Bibles, if you will open them to Philippians chapter 1, and when you're there or thereabouts, If you'll stand with me, I'll read the word together.
And we're picking up where we left off. Uh, we initially taught through the first 11 verses, and so we'll be resuming at verse 12. And this is what Paul continues to write to the gathering of believers there in Philippi. He says, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from good will. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. You may be seated. As we are continuing in our study, As we looked at last week, and I think especially since we had a, a larger break in between because of the weather, I think it's important we do a little bit of review. We studied in those first 11 verses, and from them we learned about our joyful partnership in the gospel through Jesus and in our relationship with each other. And we talked about the fact that we are bond servants. We are all bond servants of Jesus, willing servants, willing slaves to his gospel progress that we've surrendered our lives for the purpose of God's. Our lives are not our own. We, they don't belong to us anymore. We can't say things like, hey, I want to do this with my life. It's not my life. It's his. And that none of us is greater than any other. We're all adopted into this family, his kids. And we enjoy an equal partnership in the work of God. And we have the same or similar responsibilities. And since our identity is found in the sovereign rule of Christ, we will naturally understand him to be our endless source of grace and peace and to be able to share that then with others around us. Subsequently, we live, serve, and give sacrificially because this is what he has done for us. This has been his heart towards us. And he says, go and do it also to others. He empowers us then to do these things through his Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Therefore, in light of our unity in Jesus as our head, our, our sovereign king and Lord, the God of all creation, because we are purchased of God as we talked about, he will see his purposes fulfilled in our lives. He will see that work completed. And this further links our hearts together, as Paul described back in verse 7 and 8. And all of this imparts a clear understanding of our need to grow or to abound more and more, as it says in those earlier verses, in real knowledge and truth, to discern the truth so that we can live sincere and blameless lives. That means speaking and acting without impure motivations or offense 
and by natural function, living lives filled with the fruits of righteousness, the fruits of the Spirit. In short, we will know and experience this joyful partnership together in the gospel. And in our joyful partnership with Jesus and others, we're also part of the joyful process of the gospel. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. The progress of the gospel through us, it will not be thwarted. Not by circumstances or by people, as Paul writes, with impure motives. Nothing will stop the progress of the gospel of God. This is his primary purpose in and through us, to make his name and the grace associated with it known to all men. Again, some of this was mentioned last week, but I think you know a, a historical context is always good, so I'm going to review just a little bit of that. And it was during Paul's second missionary journey uh, around 51 BC, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and Luke are diverted by the Holy Spirit from uh, going into where they desired to go. So they end up at Troas. They receive, Paul receives this vision from the Holy Spirit of the man in Macedonia says, come and help us. And so they leave there. They go to the city of Philippi, again, modern-day Turkey. And through these men, God raises up a church, a gathering of believers. And since Paul and Silas, we know the story, they're arrested, thrown into prison, miraculously released. But they're asked to leave the city, and they leave Luke behind to care for the church. Now, their, their journey continues on. They pass through Amphipolis. Apollonia, they arrive in our modern-day city, uh, Greece, at uh, Thessalonica. But due to jealousy from the local Jewish leaders, Paul, Timothy, and Silas are forced to flee to Berea. Another church is planted there in Berea, but again, the Jewish leaders come and stir up troubles in Thess from Thessalonica, and Paul flees to Athens, leaving behind Silas and Timothy to care for the church. And through Paul, God establishes another church in Athens. And you can kind of see this pattern. He's like pushed out. He's being persecuted. He's just like, fine, I'll go to the next one. And it's on his third missionary trip that Paul, after returning to Jerusalem around 57 BC, is arrested there and rescued by a centurion because they're going to kill him right there in, in the center of Jerusalem. And the commander of the Roman cohort and, he, and then Paul is sent to Caesarea to stand trial before Governor Felix. And again, later on, before Porcius Festus. And during Paul's imprisonment in Caesarea, he would testify regarding God before King Agrippa, his wife Bernice. And then later on, because of the plots to kill him, Paul appeals to Caesar. He says, fine, I don't think I can get a safe trial here. So I appeal to Caesar, send me to Caesar. This is sometime around 59 BC, and he's sent to Rome via ship. His journey would include a near-death experience there off the coast of Malta. Um, he, as he gets onto the beach, and they're warming themselves by a fire, he's bitten by a venomous serpent. Um, everyone's certain that he's going to die, that he's a wicked, wicked man because he just escaped the sea, and now, God, the, as they said, the gods are not going to let him live. But miraculously, he survives all of that. 
And he continues to do other miracles and speak life and truth in that area. And then departing for Rome and our final arrival in Rome around 60 BC. He's there now in Rome in house arrest and he preaches the gospel for about two years there, during which time he wrote letters to various churches, one of them being the church of Philippi, but also a letter to Philemon, to the church in Colossae, to Ephesus. And we know these as books of the Bible. And that's recorded, these records here are in Acts 21 through 28. Again, why do I share that history? And this is really important. It's important for us as believers to understand that we have a historically and intelligent faith, that we have a historically accurate and intelligent faith. It's not like we check our brain at the door or every time we open the Bible. No, in fact, that this continues to be a source of truth. And if anything, archaeology has found is it just continues to affirm the truths of the Bible. And we need to remember this. There was a study done uh, quite a number of years ago, and out of that was the Barner Research Group and a couple of others that came together. And there, a book came out called Already Gone, trying to explain why young people are leaving the church, leaving their faith in God at such a young age, really junior high. Now, it used to be a college, then high school, and now it's really into the junior high years. And then one of the comments that was made is because kids were saying, well, we go to church to learn stories, but we go to school to learn facts and truth. And this is something we need to communicate to our kids on a daily basis. The truth, the historical truth of the Bible that is historically accurate, scientifically accurate, and God intends to use it to remind us of his presence and his glory. Amen? Amen. Paul, through the sovereign hand of God and proven really by Acts chapter 23, 11, he's sent to a Rome to preach the gospel. That is the specific purpose. All of his beatings, his persecutions, trials, hardships, they have in fact been a part of God's plan and purpose for his life. This is again, Roman, or Acts 23, 11. This is speaking to Ananias just after Paul's conversion. It says, but on the night immediately following, the Lord stood at his side and said, take courage for you, as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. But those words also, I'm mixing two things up here together. Ananias, he told, God told Ananias, listen, go and talk to Paul. Right after his conversion, go and talk to Paul and tell him how much he is going to suffer for my name's sake. And then God himself speaks to Paul in this vision. He says, you are going to go to Rome as a witness. So his imprisonment, his present circumstances, as he writes this letter to the church at Philippi, to his brothers and sisters, were really a continuation of God's process of sanctification for Paul and the progress of the gospel. They are intertwined. And this is true for every one of us. We may see our circumstances and say, there is no good thing in this. And yet God is using that circumstance because we know what Romans says. 
Everything works together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. His purpose is what? To spread the gospel, the good news of Christ redeeming those trapped in sin. And in this, Paul rejoices. We've said this before. The letter of Philippians is often referred to as the epistle of joy or the joy epistle. And this is one more thing that Paul is going to be excited about. And that is the process. The first one I want us to link to is the process of the gospel being spread in, our, in and through our lives is informed by our faith. So as we let look at our circumstances and we say, wow, this doesn't look like any way to get the gospel going forward, we need to remember who we belong to and what he's purchased for. As we live and experience both the good and bad or pleasurable and difficult circumstances of life, as those um, who are, Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says, confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. If we are those kind of people, we should know all circumstances are meant for our good and his glory. And we too can find or should find joy in God's work in and through those same circumstances. Now, on Thursday night, this was now a, a, over a week ago, I was wrapping up my, this study and I closed out all the apps on my computer and was just you know cleaning up the desktop of my computer and Close, close, yes, close, close, save, no, no problem. Until I realized I'd closed the sermon without saving it. <laughs> and panic ensued. <laughs> of course, I didn't know that we weren't going to have church that next, that Sunday. So I'm trying everything I possibly can to think. And this is, of course, the week of prayer. And uh, so... I looked and I looked, could not find any temporary file. That evening at, at uh, service, uh, one of the church members, Brian Schwartz, said, well, let me have a look for you. Maybe we can find it. So he spent some time, no luck. And I'm just like, okay, Lord, apparently what I wrote was completely worthless. <laughs> and it needs to be started all over again, <laughs> right? Um, but I will tell you this, that, that Thursday night for the first 15 minutes of prayer, I could not focus on prayer. All my mind was like, what am I going to do? I have to start the whole sermon over. I have one day to write. It's just like panic in my heart. And it was really interesting. After Brian and I looked for those files, he reminded me that God has a purpose in everything. Now, Friday morning arrives, and I, I reached out to Dan Fennison, um, if you don't know him, Dr. Dan, the IT man. Um, after about 15 or so minutes, he remoted into my computer, uh, and lo and behold, he found a temporary file. And so I was able to restore it, but it also got me thinking about what I had written, what I had put on paper, and, and God over the process that, of that changed it. But as after we got that file restored and everything, this Dan said, seeing the title of the message because he's looking for the file, right? He says, well, Kevin, isn't true. God takes us through the joyful process. 
in our circumstance, doesn't he? It's like, oh man, using the sermon title against me. <laughs> but it's true. And that's a little tiny thing in life, isn't it? Right? I mean, when you, when you really boil it down, that is, that is infinitesimally small compared to other life circumstances. But in every circumstance, it is God's desire that we would think about him first. To hold on to him and find the joy that he's trying to relate to us. So as we continue on now, it says, when our circumstances are informed by our faith, as we look at them and say, hey, our faith, God is solid, he's sovereign, he's got this under control, he's using this for our good, we need to be prepared at all times for the progress of the gospel. And that means we need to be prepared and he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the ju to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Repu uh, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction, for the time will come when what? when they will not endure sound doctrine. That's the truth. They won't endure the truth. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to the myths. So he's warning Timothy. He's also letting us know our circumstances demand for us to be prepared to preach the gospel. Now, Timothy was a pastor, a young pastor, and he's telling me, like, be prepared. But it's no less important for us. Is the proclamation of the gospel limited to pastors? No, absolutely not. He said to all the disciples, go therefore and make disciples, right? Teaching them the truth, baptizing them. And that is for every one of us. We need to be prepared. This is, in fact, what, Timothy, or what Paul wrote to Timothy is, in fact, what we are seeing today in an abundance, isn't it? A turning aside from the truth to myths, to fables, to bold-faced lies. And God commands us to have an answer for them, a truthful, loving answer. Whether we are at home, work, school, vacation in our neighborhood, whatever that is, on a mission trip, people are looking for answers. People are looking for answers. The question is, will we see them looking for answers? And will we be prepared? Prepared to offer them life and truth and hope and peace and wisdom that God has poured into you and I. God uses our circumstances to open the doors for us to preach the gospel. He, that's his desire. He opens these doors through circumstances to preach the gospel. Romans 10, 14 through 15. How then will they call on him in him whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. 
And he sends us everywhere, doesn't he? We live in a time in the world where you can travel across the world in a day. We can send messages instantaneously, video, pictures, the written word, instantaneously to anywhere in this world. God has designed us to preach the gospel. And every opportunity to be prepared to make his name known. And Paul knew this very well. I mean, by God's grace, he had laid hold of this confident hope in Jesus and the purpose for which he was purchased as we are. And this responsibility is for, again, for every believer, not just the pastor, the elder, the Bible study leader, home group leader. It's for every believer and follower of Jesus Christ. We must all be prepared to preach the gospel. Our testimonies, we talked about it this at the end of, the, end of this last year, Testimony Sunday. They are powerful. They are a powerful tool to preach the gospel. Let me tell you how God transformed me. Outside of our testimony, we should know the Bible. We should know the word of God enough to point people to Jesus. And where do we start? Now, one of the things I love is that we here at, at CCSE, we have a lot of young people or a fair number of young people involved in the everyday ministry of the church. I'm really blessed. We have three young interns right now. But on top of that, if you go to Sunday school classes, we have kids young, as young as 12 years old who are assisting in Sunday school classes. Why? Because they're using the knowledge that they possess. We are training them to say, what you have, give it away. It doesn't take a whole lot. And I know sometimes we as adults, can we can get in our brains like, well, I'm just not smart enough. I just don't know enough of the Bible. I don't. Listen, we use what we have in the place that God opens for us. Amen? It's not like he purchased us and says, well, I need you to sit on the shelf for 20 years. <laughs> no, he's like, I, I purchased you for now, for this very moment. Bottom line, we start by using what we have and serving, teaching wherever God opens a door. Are we engaging in those opportunities? So when we preach or teach, what ought to be at the center of those things? When we communicate the heart of God, the word of God, what should be at the center? Two things, the truth with an equal measure of love. And this further highlights our need to be prepared with more and more real knowledge of God. People need to hear the truth. I know it's what I needed to hear in 1990 when one of the elders in the church said, hey, why, are, why is God going to let you into his heaven? I'm like, well, I'm a good person. You know, I, I believe in God. I was baptized with nine. And he's like, well, yeah, but is that what the Bible teaches? necessary for salvation. And I got really angry because <laughs> the reality is I didn't know the truth. We need the truth. People need to know that there is a cost for sin. 
that sin exists in our life, Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, that there is a cost, there's a penalty, it's our death, our eternal separation from God. Hell is real. Matthew 5.41, Revelation 14.10. And that is the place for those who reject God's gift through Christ. Romans 5.15. We need to speak the truth to them. In Galatians 3.24, Paul wrote this. He says, therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. We need to hear the truth that it would bring us to a place of faith. The truth leads us to Jesus. <coughs> And when we remove the truth from the gospel, we remove all of God's love. Let me say that again. When we remove the truth from the gospel, we remove all of God's love. Warren Wiersbe said this. I've shared this before. Truth without love is brutality. And love without truth is hypocrisy. You cannot separate these two. I mean, this was the very heart of God when he came down and it, through the life of Jesus and the person of Jesus. It says there in John that he came full of what? Grace and truth. Grace being love, the expression of God's love. You see, too often we speak with the sharp edge of truth and we cut a person but we never get to the part of healing the wound with love. Isn't that easy to do? We want to just give them, like, you just need to hear the truth. We forget the healing power of God's love because his word says it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And that kindness is a mixture of truth and love. Have you ever heard the phrase, you can say the right things in the wrong way? <laughs> or your actions are speaking so loud, I can't hear your words? <laughs> this is why James wrote in James 1, chapter 1, verse 19 through 20. He says, this you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear slow to speak and slow to anger for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. There's a reason God gave us two ears and one mouth, right? I mean, Sam, Sam knows this. I'll be the first to admit that there are times she starts telling me something that's important and I've already determined what the end result of it is and I interrupt her. And how does that usually work out? Not to my benefit, not to her benefit. We all laugh because we've done it, right? Do we really listen to others? Out of a love and a concern for them, do we listen? Do we honestly want to hear and understand what they're saying and why they're saying it? If we do, then the door may be open for us to speak the truth in love. And Paul knew this very well. After all, he, again, he's under house arrest there in Rome, always under the watchful eye of a guard with his freedoms restricted. 
Verse 13, if you'll go back there now, he said, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more encouragement or have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. He was fully aware the gospel was being used, progress of it through his life circumstances. And he was listening. And this is the second piece is the process is used by the gospel. Circumstances are used by the gospel. This was God's, again, part of Paul's process of sanctification, being changed, being transformed, as Romans 1, 12, or 1, uh, 12, 1 and 2 says. Being transformed, being changed, made in the image of Christ, inwardly and outwardly. Again, I'm sure he remembered those words that were spoken to Ananias. In Acts chapter 9, I mentioned them earlier, but I'll read them again. But the Lord said to him, Ananias, go, for he, Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. That must be echoing in Paul's head as he's there in prison. He's like, okay, this is what God purchased me for, and I got to be with the program, his program, because it will always be for my good and his great glory. When the Lord purchased us, it's for his name's sake. And for the purpose of preaching the gospel to the lost, to those who do not yet know him. So that all who will heed his word will hear the truth through his act of love and they will be saved. That is God's great desire, and we get a partner in that. But it is a process, isn't it? And sometimes it's a difficult one. Paul's life, the circumstances, and the process God ordained fulfilled this and was used to spread the message. It was used to spread the message of truth. He traveled the world. He spoke to leaders of many religions and governments, and now his life was being used to influence those in the government of Rome. They're at the very center of the known world at the time. Additionally, the seeds of the message were being sent throughout the Roman Empire, possibly by these same Praetorian guards as they were soldiers. And they would serve a term, and maybe they were in the Praetorian, but then they would be sent out. Now, it's just a, an interesting side note I mentioned this when we were doing some of the historical background for the early parts of chapter one. Remember when I said that there was, when they conquered and they took over Philippi, that area, Macedonia, that the Romans, uh, Caesar gave land grants to retired soldiers, some of them Praetorians. And do you think soldiers stay... Even in our day, many soldiers who go through hardships, the elite, stay in contact with one another, don't they? So there's a very real possibility that these same praetorians that Paul is ministering are communicating, that there's others that they know. But also, this is Paul's attempt, really, uh, through the gospel to say, listen, 
you at Philippi, there is nothing preventing you from preaching the gospel. That like me, God in the, in the circumstances he's chosen for me, he could use you to influence your local government, your local law enforcement, those in your community. You and I, in our circumstances, we have unseen influence, but we must lay hold of it. We must see it as an opportunity rather than a burden. Listen, I know I've definitely had the attitude at times like, what's the point? It's all just going downhill. <laughs> but this is why the word says that we should not lose heart, not grow faint in doing good because there are yet those that will be saved. We just don't know who they are. Besides spreading the gospel, the process of Paul's life was used to increase courage in others. When you and I see someone live and speak with joy amidst challenging life circumstances, we are often encouraged to stand up with more boldness in our situations. We can do this because we know the same spirit of God that is living and active in that individual is the same spirit of God living and active in you and I. Have you ever read any of those missionary stories? You know, I, there's, there's one little piece, you know, one Indian pastor, I mean, he was ordained and they sent him out and uh, the story goes that they, they sent him out with a shovel to these remote villages. Why? Because they would, outside the town, they would first dig their grave and then enter into the city and preach the gospel. And I'm encouraged because that says... The same spirit of God that is provoking them said, listen, I'll give my life away. Paul said it. I'm being poured out as a drink offering. That encourages me in my circumstances, which frankly are much less severe to stand up for the truth. It's not designed to guilt us. It's designed to encourage us to increase courage within us. As the Spirit fills and empowers a person to live the gospel, he then uses it to overcome fear. Fear is a painful emotion, isn't it? It's provoked by apprehension of danger, to be afraid of physical, emotional, or spiritual harm. Fear can lead us to some significantly poor decision-making, can it? I think we've all experienced at some point in our life making a decision based in fear. Generally, it doesn't turn out well. In the face of fear or harm, people often respond in three ways, fight, flight, or freeze. However, on the positive side, fear can keep us from making poor decisions, can't it? <laughs> As we begin to count the cost of that dumb idea. <laughs> We see the potential outcome of our thoughts and actions. What Paul is referring to is a fear that we keep us from speaking the truth of the gospel. 
His circumstances, God's purposes in his life have provoked others to cast off that fear of harm and to speak with boldness. His boldness while in chains, while in the heart of danger, allows others to see the protecting hand of God. And this is what people need to see in us, you and I, to see the protecting hand of God. Again, I, I point you to how many times over the years I've gone into hospitals, and I think of um, Brian Reynolds, Brian and Ruth Reynolds, for those of you that knew them before their passing, going to their home or going to the hospital to visit with them, to encourage them, and leave completely encouraged by them and, and wondering, did I even do anything good in their life? Why? Why were they so unafraid of death? Because they knew they were not dying. They were taking the next step closer to eternity. They were confident that what God started, he was going to finish in them. And it's going to provoke me to walk with more boldness, to not be afraid. As we see others walking in that boldness, God wants us to walk also in that same boldness in our context. Mark Twain said this, courage is not the absence of fear, it is the willingness to act in spite of it. It's to look at it and say, yes, that's, that's bad, that's good. that maybe is going to hurt, but I know the one who holds all of that in his hands. Paul is saying that his life of suffering has become a source of courage. For others to stand and face their fears, to count the cost of being a disciple, a disciple, and to live and speak despite their fears. They're not frozen, nor are they running in fear. No, they've determined to stand in that place where the fight is with spiritual weapons provided by God. They move beyond fear, and, and they really echo Paul's words in verse 21, for me to live as Christ and to die is what? Gain. Or the words he wrote to the church in Rome in Romans 8.31. What then shall we say? If God is for us, who is against us? And it's a rhetorical question. It has an obvious answer. There is no one, no one that can stand against God and his purposes in my life, in your life. It's because of Paul's lack of fear, his confidence in the sovereign hand of God that he's not concerned now with the motivations of those sharing the gospel, verses 15 through 17. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from good, will. He continues on. His concern is that the process of the gospel continues forward, and he knows that the process, the progress of the gospel is not even thwarted by personal pride. Paul's first letter to the church of Corinth, he discussed this issue of pride in chapters one through three, really just exposing the members of the church and how they had kind of chosen their favorite people, their favorite apostle or teacher. And they were developing their own little fan clubs. 1 Corinthians chapter three, verse four and five for when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? 
What then is Apollos and what then is Paul? Servants through whom you have believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. So the same kind of nonsense is now happening there in Rome where there are some of the teachers, they're trying to discredit Paul. They're continuing the message that, that he's dealt with for many years that, well, Paul is not that great. They're trying to puff up their own reputation by saying, look, Paul's in prison. Clearly, God is not with him. God has not blessed him. And Paul's saying just the opposite. God has blessed me. He has found me worthy to suffer for his name's sake in this way. Paul says, I don't care what their motivations are. I don't care if they want to make more of themselves. They want to draw people because of their great reputation. No, he says, in this life, all of the reputations, his included, were the possession of God. There was no room for pride in him. There was no room for pride in those individuals because they were all servants, servants of God, as he said to the Corinthians. Jesus will judge the quality of every man's work. He will judge the quality. He will correct attitudes in due time. Now, let me make a distinction here. Paul is not talking about those who are false teachers. He had a lot to say about that, right? No, he's talking about their motivations. They may not be healthy motivations, but they are speaking the truth. It's just motivated because of personal pride. God, and, and he says, God is going to sort that out in his time. My concern is that the gospel goes out because nothing is going to stop the gospel. For the sake of the name of Jesus, Paul was determined as far as it was dependent upon him, he was going to be at peace with all men. And this is why Paul ends the letter there in verse 18, and he says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. This is the joy of God's sovereign process. That as we know, as, as his gospel message goes out, as the gospel progresses through our lives and in our communities and our state and the nation and the world, it is part of God's sovereign process using you and I. From Jesus' first call on the road to Damascus to his final written words to Timothy, Paul is determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. 1 Corinthians 2.2. From beginning to end, he understood his life was not his own. The message was not his own. The outcome was not his responsibility. And the other false teachers or impure motivations were God's business. He would speak against false teachers, but his greatest concern was that the gospel would go forth. And the spread of the gospel even was not dependent upon Paul. We each have our part, yes? Yes? 
We each have our part. We need to be faithful with our part. We can't look at someone else and say, well, they're not pulling their weight, so I'm not doing mine. That's not the bargain. God says, examine your heart to see if you be in the faith. Examine what your motivations are. Determine if they're in line with mine. Are you prepared to preach the gospel, the truth in love? Are you living in such a way that it looks courageous to this world, that is not crushed or held down by fear? And again, I don't want to put this big burden on us, but I want to understand that by the power of his Holy Spirit, these things are possible. All we need to do is draw nearer and nearer to Jesus, and this was Paul's life. The closer he came to God through Christ, the less precious his life seemed to him, and the less concerned he became with the outcome of others' lives other than his job as a pastor, as a teacher, and a fellow believer. I can do what God has asked me to do. The results, that's his business. Amen? We need to be in this place that we're willing to enter into this joyful process. All that God planned, he will complete. And you and I should know that. Lord, we come to you because we know the truth of your word, and it says, in this life, you will have trouble. And that's not designed to make us fearful or to run away or to cower, but to prepare us because when we are close to you, everything falls into place. When we are leaning upon you and your understanding, we will not be afraid. When we are walking in the truth, speaking and living it, we have a confidence that is outside our circumstances. Lord, if this morning, if we're in a place personally where there's guilt, where there's shame, Lord, I pray that we would walk closely with you in this moment, that we would be willing to confess sin. Lord, or maybe it's because of experiences that have been thrust upon us in our lives. Lord, that you would remind us of who we are. Maybe not who we used to be or what others think of us. Lord, who we are as your kids. If we need to draw near to our first love, Lord, help us to do that. Because everything that we're experiencing in life right now is designed to display your glory. The truth and love of your word is designed to provoke us to be people of joy in all circumstances. 
So God, we would ask you to search our hearts. Know, help us to know what it is that we need to be involved in. We, how we need to draw nearer to you so that we'd experience the joy of this process, the progress of your gospel. It's in your name we pray, for your glory, Jesus. Amen. If you'll stand with me. Again, as, as, as I was praying and just thinking, this is our opportunity to be further equipped for the work of the ministry. Again, I hope you don't miss it as you walk out the, the front doors above it. Read what it says there. We are going out into the mission field, into the battle. And we are here to be equipped for that, to be refreshed, strengthened, prepared. So if there's things this morning that are inhibiting or prohibiting you from walking in that truth, this is the place and time to reconcile that. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know. You've never confessed your sin and asked for forgiveness and said, I believe and I surrender my life to you, God, through Christ. You can make that happen this morning. It's quite simple. And there's people up to my right and my left that'd be more than happy to walk that through with you or maybe someone you came with. But also if you're here and there's things God wants to reconcile in your life right now, whether that be because of your own choices or someone else's choices, God wants to meet you and reach out. I know it. maybe it's, I use it too much, but we need Jesus with skin on sometimes. And that's what we are to be to one another. Amen? So let's take advantage of it.